This morning's reading is taken from the book of Samuel, the first book of Samuel, chapter 16, verses 1 to 13, and that can be found on page 287. That's the first book of Samuel, chapter 16, verses 1 to 13. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? Saul will hear about it and kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at, Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then made Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he is tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent and had him brought in. He was ruddy, with a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. He is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Samuel then went to Ramah. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks for that reading and thanks for my lovely welcome from Maeve. Let's pray. Lord God, may the words of my mouth bless your name, and may we all hear your call on our lives today. Amen. So last week, we uh, heard the first part of Samuel's story, and this week, we're going to hear a bit more about Samuel again. 
I'm sorry, I preached at the 9am and my notes are just a little bit confused. So I'll just organise them and then we'll be good to go. Okay, so Samuel, Samuel was a bit of a special lad. He uh, was special because he'd been set apart from the very beginning for service to God. And special because God called him out of the blue one night with an audible voice and a slightly terrifying vision and so began his long career as a prophet in the service of God. The word special is defined by the dictionary as exceptional, unusual, singular, uncommon, outstanding, unique. English, I am assured, is a constantly evolving language and I expect you've noticed how people, young people in particular, alter meanings of words. Why use the adjective good when wicked or sick would do? Special is a word that has changed so that it can mean anything but special. In fact, it can mean that something or someone is in fact perceived to be deficient in some way or should be avoided. The place we pick up our story about Samuel today, Samuel is not feeling special at all. In fact, Samuel is feeling rather sorry for himself. Saul, the first king of Israel, has behaved exactly as Samuel warned the people he would do. I think it was Lord Acton who once said, all power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. So Saul has gone the way of all kings. He has disobeyed God who appointed him in the first place. He has been pleasing himself. He has been going for the popular vote in pleasing the people. And he has become idolatrous. That is the final straw as far as God is concerned. And that being the case, why is Samuel so distraught? Well, Samuel had hoped for better things, hadn't he? He had, after all, anointed Saul. He had seen that Saul stood head and shoulders above everyone else and was kingly in all senses of the word. So Samuel now is disappointed. He's let down and he's having a bit of wallow in grief. But God knew that Saul would fail at some point. He'd had Samuel warn the people of such, and now there will be consequences. But God is a God of second chances. Already, he has a new king in mind, one who, by the very fact of being human, will inevitably act like a human king, but one who will not disobey God to the extent of being idolatrous as Saul was. So God needs Samuel to just get over himself in regards to Saul and remember that to lead is to serve. God has a leadership task for Samuel, a new king to be anointed. And Samuel is the only person God will entrust with this. So Samuel sets out and discovers, of course, that the other side of special is not always welcomed. I don't know if any of you are Lord of the Rings fans, if you are rather like Gandalf arriving in the hall of Theoden is greeted with the words Gandalf Stormcrow. Samuel has to get around those 
who are scared at his appearing, expecting the very worst. His tactic at God's suggestion is to point the people towards God in worship. This is, of course, the way they should be facing anyway. And it's only when they're facing in the right direction that they can accept what's going to come next. And next we see another kind of special. Jesse's sons are fine, strapping young men, but it is to the youngest that Samuel is directed. Why the one with no earthly status? Why the one who does the job every other son has graduated from? The one that's seemingly unqualified and not yet big enough for many a task his brothers could ably perform. To this son of Jesse, Samuel takes up his anointing oil because God says, this is the one. So what makes David so special? David is the only person described in the Bible as a man after God's own heart. And the author of the text here cannot resist adding that David was also handsome, tanned, and had beautiful eyes. It makes me think of some of the most surprising X Factor auditions. You can picture David, can't you, coming out on stage, the moss and the heather falling off him, the smell of sheep making the judges screw up their faces. But then the music starts, the most incredible voice comes out, and suddenly no one can talk about anyone else but the young lad who actually, when he scrubs up a bit, looks like a star in the making. The text doesn't tell us in what ways the Spirit of the Lord manifested upon David, as it says in verse 13. Some commentators suggest that from that moment on, David was just one of those lucky guys. You know the sort that if he fell in the weir one day, he would come up with a great big trout in his pocket? Suffice to say... David is special and blessed by God in a way that Saul never was. The love affair that Israel has forevermore with King David begins here in the unlikely choosing of the youngest of sons, who up till now was really quite happy defending the family flock and thinking up tunes on his harp. And so we see that God's call is always surprising. The first time I met Tim was the first time I heard God as an audible voice in my head. Tim was sitting opposite me in a grotty student sitting room, chatting in a friendly manner with additional winking, when God said, this is the man you're going to marry. As moments before, Tim had been throwing a brick at one of his housemates, and it was a real brick. I was not inclined to hear this favorably and planned my imminent escape from said grotty student house. But God's plans are good, and 28 years on, neither of us have doubted God's call of marriage to one another. Of course, as two flawed human beings, there have been difficulties along the way, but through it all, we have trusted God with our lives. And the rest, as they say, is history. God's call comes at different times and in different ways. 
Sometimes, like Samuel, the person being called is well-placed and simply has to step into the role that's set out before him. Sometimes, like David, the person is plucked from obscurity, propelled into the limelight, and no one around is quite sure just how special the person is going to turn out to be. God's call is entirely from Scripture. Calling is a pattern that repeats throughout the Bible. In fact, the idea of calling is a uniquely biblical idea. Deities at the time functioned separately from earthly human beings who were hapless living at the whim of the gods. They didn't call humans to anything, but rather had to be appeased and cajoled, a uniquely human idea. God's call is to participate, to partner with him, to be alongside him as he, the ever-sovereign king of all, works out his plans and purposes. God's call can be trusted. Samuel's calling was as God's mouthpiece, at times to admonish, at times to promise God's favor, at times to anoint kings, at times to warn those kings of their bad behavior. These were very specific tasks in specific times. Sam Satchel was here the other weekend singing at Jack Winskill's birthday party. I hadn't met Sam uh, or had heard of him, but I had only the day before read an article about him on the back page of the Church Times, so I had to put two and two together. Did Sam know that when he struggled through guitar lessons when he was younger, that one day he would be running projects with other artists and refugees, giving a voice to the voiceless? I'm guessing not. And so we see that our calling can evolve using gifts that we've been given when the time is right. From the outset, David's calling is pretty big and gets bigger all the time. His calling is one that will unite warring tribal factions and create a powerful kingdom that much of the ancient world was too fearful to touch. Twelve small tribes with apportioned plots of land and difficult neighbors all around them, become a nation and a force to be reckoned with under David's kingship and through God's blessing. Now, it wasn't a kingdom that would last, but it did produce a legacy of lasting significance. David's anointing was seated in the same calling of every one of the people of Israel to love the Lord your God with all heart, mind, and soul as befits the God who is above all other gods. It was an anointing that produced psalms and songs of praise that have blessed millions throughout the generations from that time until now. Who knew? Who knew that one young shepherd would so abandon himself in praise to God? would become a great king who could dance naked before the Lord and know no shame. This man after God's own heart would fail 
he would mess up and he would know suffering. But he also understood the grace of God so that he could declare, using the words of Psalm 51, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away my iniquity and cleanse my sin. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Who knew that David's honesty before God would produce so many psalms that would help us over 2,000 years later express how we feel to God, about God, before God. David may not have sought kingship, but he accepted God's call, trusted his life to God, and did his human best to obey God throughout his life. My daughter and I were discussing the cross and the switchblade the other day. It's the story of a pastor, David Wilkerson, and how God called him out of his comfortable church to teenage gangs back in the 1970s. And we discussed how this story emerged alongside several others like that of Brother Andrew, the Bible smuggler, Jackie Pullinger, famous for her work with heroin addicts, and how there are terrifically inspiring stories. Some of them are out of the blue calling from God, some more of a creeping up on one, using different gifts at different times. And we talked about Heidi Baker of Iris Ministries, who worked her socks off alongside her husband in Mozambique for 10 years before anyone had ever heard of her or invited her onto a stage at a conference. And yet how many more lives have been challenged and changed by her message of Jesus who stopped for the one. None of these people started off with any intention of being multinational bestsellers or stage celebrities, but they all have one thing in common. When God called them, each one of them said yes. They didn't know what exactly God might call them to. Jackie Pullinger got on a boat to Hong Kong with 50 pounds in her pocket and a named contact and a heart after God's own heart, which was enough. We don't get the impression from the text that David had a great deal of choice when the prophet Samuel came calling with his anointing oil. But David didn't run like others in scripture have done. None of the people I've just mentioned were perfect or qualified. In fact, Jackie Pullinger testifies to all those naysayers who kept pointing out all the reasons why she should not go to Hong Kong. But what all of these people, as I have said, had in common is that they all said yes when God called. A former chief rabbi, Jonathan Sachs, wrote this. For each of us, God has a task, work to perform, a kindness to show, a gift to give, love to share, loneliness to ease, pain to heal, or broken lives to mend. Discerning that task, hearing God's call, is what gives life meaning and purpose. Where what we want to do meets what needs to be done, 
That is where God wants us to be. We don't all feel special or feel special all of the time. Most of us, I'm sure, feel pretty ordinary most of the time. But all God wants from us is the willingness to serve, to say yes to him when he calls, no matter how surprising that call may be, to have a heart after his own heart. Sachs talks of responding to God's call exactly where we are right now to those around us until he should call us somewhere else. That may be to be God's voice to God's people in these days. It may be to something big that's only going to get bigger. And you know, it really doesn't matter if our story is never, ever told. What matters is whether we said yes to Jesus or not. We can trust God when he calls. We can trust him with our lives because his mercy and love knows no end. We don't have to wait to be super qualified or expert in our field. And we never have to worry about not being good enough. God knows we will mess up along the way. But God's plans are perfect. They are worked out through you and through me. They are worked out through those who have a heart after God's own heart who are willing to say yes to him when he calls. Amen.